Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to be here for our fifth season of the Thank You for Coming Out podcast. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During that show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have our, our storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am so super duper thrilled about uh, that I get to introduce my guest for today, uh, Travers Johnson. He, him, is the founder and CEO of Queerency, an LGBTQ plus business media startup, and also the creator of LGBTQ plus Business Week, an annual seven-day celebration of queer-owned small businesses. He is a Forbes contributor who covers topics at the intersection of the queer economy, in the creator economy, and he has worked for and with industry-leading companies, including MailChimp, Penguin Random House, Edelman, and Scholastic. He was trained at Morehouse College and Georgetown University and is a winner of the Google News Initiative Pitch Fest and the Maynard Institute Media Entrepreneurship Award. Travers, welcome! Thank you so much, Doves. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited that you are here. How How's your day going so far? Busy, but... A good busy, so I can't complain. How about yours? Similar, similar vibes. I yeah, day before day before Pride Month, busy. You find so. that your <laughs> that your Pride Month is packed to the gills. Yeah, yeah. What about yours? Yep, same. <laughs> lots of <laughs> lots of speaking engagements, and uh, yeah, I guess it's mostly speaking engagements and trainings yeah. and that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. We're, we're proud all year long, but people sort of recognize us that we exist during June. So it's always busy. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. And my, and I'm curious, and we can talk about this later, how, when you are talking to, you know, clients and folks just in the work that you do, how, and if you gently nudge people to think outside of June. Um, But, you know, we could talk about that. Uh, cool. later. Um, so we all have multiple coming out stories and mu- multiple coming into ourselves and coming of age stories. And so I invite you to share what whichever story or moment resonates with you with us. Sure. Yeah, that's such a great question and, and framing. Um, I think one of the first sort of like I, I talk a lot about possibility models. It's a term that I learned from Laverne Cox, the actress, and she talks about how um, she saw um, another trans actress early in her career, and that actress became a possibility model, not a role model, but a possibility model for the idea that she could even be an out trans woman and be a working actress. And so one of my sort of first person possibility models um is this author named E. Lynn Harris. He was a black gay novelist. And um when I first started 
in in college, I had heard about him in his books. Um, I was not out, but I was just really drawn to him and him like as a professional and just the books, obviously. And I um, was the editor of the school paper and had this um, this sort of monthly talk um, forum where we would invite different guests and stuff. And so we actually invited him to be a guest um, at this forum and I got to interview him. And then um, serendipitously, a few months later, after I graduated college, I was working, I got a job at Random House Publishing, which is where he was published. And so I got to work on one of his last books before he died about a year later. Um, and his books had a lot to do, um, focus a lot on like the Black gay um, life, um, especially like men that were closeted. Um, and he was like a really successful novelist um, for, you know, he had several best-selling books. And I just remember him as like the first person that I saw that sort of like I saw myself in, in some ways. Um, we were both interested in, um, in writing and books and publishing. He was a much, you know, he was a very successful author. Um, and we had similar backgrounds. Like he grew up in the South. So did I, he was like, um, we both went to this thing called Boys State, which there was a documentary about it, I think a few years ago. Um, but it's like this sort of um, camp that ambition that they pull one boy from every high school in the state to go to is like, and you sort of like recreate um, a government. And so it was a very interesting sort of um experience and case study and so we had both done that but like 30 or 40 years apart and so I just saw a lot of myself in him and he was the first time the first like possibility model that I saw where I said wow there's someone that looks like me that loves like me that has similar interests and that I can see um the possibilities of, of what I can be and achieve. Wow. That's awesome. I love, I, I, I guess I didn't realize that it was Laverne Cox who came up with possibility models. I've never talked about it in that way, but I always am thinking about like visibility and representation and like the possibility of what could be. And I love that there's like a, an actual model that she, that she created, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if she, created it and I'm not sure if she would say that I don't not sure that, that she would even say that she created it oh okay do you think that she like popularized it for certain um but I'm yeah I'm not sure where it originated or who it originated with but I think most people heard it first from her I see I got it yeah. um but it's interesting because it's these certain ways of thinking about queer identity it's like we don't always 
at least for me in my experience, and I'm curious in yours, don't always hear the positives. It's always like focusing on the the trauma and the dysphoria or the discrimination instead of instead of the flip side of like what does it feel like to be seen and affirmed in who we are as people and what are the possibility models and how how has culture changed where that even exists now so it's interesting so much of our history is sort of um difficult and tragic even but there's also a lot of joy and a lot of you know positives that can even be um, brought out of the negative aspects of us, right, of our um, collective experience. So I love to to think about that, um, not in a toxic positivity way, right. but in a way that like shows in a balanced way that, you know, in order to defeat all of the awful things that are going on in the world, we also often have to, we also have to um, recognize the good things that are happening, right? And that can fuel us for the fight against the bad things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They And just like building off what you're saying about focusing on the joy to help fuel, I also was like, it's helpful to zoom out too. Like this is just a particularly hard moment, but there have been particularly hard moments in the past and there will be in the future. But like yes. this too shall pass. Yeah, It just feels terrible right now yeah but like but leaning on the past and history we're able to see that you know it ebbs and flows and that there are so many wins and you know mm-hmm. steps forward and that kind of thing so yeah. um it's never just a one one answer answer it's always like and all these other pieces it all it all builds a whole story and narrative absolutely yeah it's 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 cyclical there you know there are cycles and you know, I saw somewhere the other day that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And so mm. for good and bad. Right. And, you know, we can learn from some of the bad parts of our history to see, like, how did people make it through that? What strategies and tactics did we use like communally and individually were people doing to make it through those eras. And then also find the strength in the the positive things and the positive actions that came with that as well. So um, yeah, I think it's, this is a very tough period. And I think it's what helps me is knowing that this too shall pass, you know, just as kind of, you know, it doesn't obviously this has been the sort of anti-trans and now anti-queer in general backlash that we're having has been brewing for years now. Um, So it's not new. And of course, countless trans folks and queer folks have been saying for years, y'all, pay attention they're coming for us, they're coming for us, and then they'll come for you. So it's not new, but the sort of feeling that it just like the influx just did sort of feel just like almost overnight, right? Like we weren't here last year, this time last year, and we weren't here two years ago or three years ago. It was not this bad. Um, And so I tell myself that just as quickly as it could seem as bad as it is now, it could also shift to something better. I love that, which also I feel like in and of itself is a possibility model. 
Yeah. Just for something different. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found that you are a possibility model for other people? Mm, that's yeah, that's interesting. I think my work definitely is. Um, people tell me every day, which is part of what motivates me to keep going, is like I literally get a comment or a DM or an email every day saying thank you for your work, how much it means to people, how appreciative they are to learn things about the things that I share in my work and in my social media content. And so um, I don't know if I am a possibility model, but I'm definitely a possibility model for my younger self. Um, You know, if my younger self could see me now, um, I think he would be proud of, of who I am and what I'm doing. And, you know, if that, if my work and who I am is a possibility model for other people, that's awesome. But I definitely think that the work that I'm doing in sharing other possibility models and amplifying queer businesses and entrepreneurs is providing possibility models for people. Yeah. I also love that you said that you're a possibility model for yourself. Um, I just think that's so cool. I. I know for me, um, like I, in hindsight, like I think, wow, like what would little dubs like think if they knew like where I am now, but I just, I, I never could have even imagined that I am living the life that I'm living. And so how powerful to kind of take that back and be like, look at this. I am a possibility for myself because I'm still here and I'm doing it. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I think that like, you know, it's not a coincidence that that term comes from a trans person, right? Mm-hmm. Or was popularized by a trans person, Laverne Cox. And so I think, you know, the idea of possibility models is even more poignant for trans people um, because they're so, you know, part of the reason I started Queerancy was because I saw myself represented as a Black person in business media with like, magazines like Black Enterprise or Afrotech.com or as a cisgender person, man, I can see myself represented in literally every mainstream business publication. Mm -hmm. But as a queer person, there was not a lot of consistent um, representation in business media, if at all. But I recognize the privilege that I have as a cis person compared to a trans person when it comes to that type of possibility model. So, you know, hearing you say that about yourself um, really resonates. Yeah. And um, well, I, so, okay. So you, you are, I'm, you keep talking about queerancy and I'd love for you to tell, tell us what queerancy is and what its mission is and the kind of work that you're doing that is so important and how, I mean, I found you through your work. And so, um, yeah, just let it tell us everything. Sure. So Queerancy is an LGBTQ business media um, startup. And, you know, the mission is to provide possibility models for who queer people can be and what we can achieve in not only business, but beyond, um, just life beyond that. And a lot of the work that I and my growing team do is focused around amplifying 
um, LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs, um, you know, really sharing the work of queer owned businesses and covering the queer economy with dignity and depth. Um, and I sort of hinted on this a few minutes ago, but just I started it because I didn't see the representation for us in either the mainstream business media or even general interest LGBTQ media, right? And so we have amazing publications like Gay City News. Like I, when I lived in New York, I would read that all the time. And um, of course, like Out Magazine and The Advocate, like y'all are our New York Times, our Washington Post, our whatever. Uh, but there wasn't a Forbes for queer folks, right? Um, and I think that part of the mission for me is to be able to share the stories that like other publications either won't, which is like with the mainstream business media, or just simply are focused on other areas like culture and, you know, all sorts of general interest news, sort of like what you all do or Out Magazine or The Advocate and do it very well. So I think we all have our lanes and and contributions to make in media and queerancy is mine. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned queer economy. For those folks who don't know what you mean by that, do you mind explaining? So... When I talk about the queer economy, I'm speaking about the sort of not only the buying and spending power of LGBTQ people globally, but also our contributions to the U.S. economy. Right. And so there are um, more than one point four million queer owned small businesses in the United States alone. And they contribute an estimated $1.7 trillion to the U.S. economy every year. 33,000 jobs are, have been created by the LGBTQ business um, owners annually. And the global LGBTQ economy is $3.7 trillion. Um, wow. So this is a lot of money that we are not only um, contributing to world economies as consumers, but also as job creators. Um, and so that is what I think about. That's sort of like one um, way that I think about it, just very quantitatively. But then I also think about it like in the forms of like, you know, what are the business sectors and industries that, you know, a lot of queer folks over index in or spend a lot of um, money in or are creating businesses and jobs in. And so I think that it's important to cover that in the same way that, you know, other like mainstream industries or people would be covered. And like the sort of example I always talk about is there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to just immediately say the name of the founder of Grindr, just like we can immediately say the name of the founder of Facebook, right? Um, both are billion dollar companies. Both have had a 
really enormous impact. Now, whether that's a good, bad, indifferent impact is left to your um, your own opinion, but you can't argue the impact that both of these platforms and companies have had. Um, and yet with Grindr, Joel, Joel Simkai, like most people that use that app couldn't tell you his name, wouldn't be able to spot him in a lineup, right? And so that's part of the mission in reporting on the queer economy is to be able to like contextualize the work of people that, you know, queer people are doing with the the dignity and the depth that it deserves, right? These are billion dollar industries. And another way I think about it as well is like, you know, when people think of a RuPaul, right, they say, oh, that's, he's a drag queen, right? But like, he's also a business mogul. <laughs> he's he's a media mogul, right? Um, there are multi-million dollar companies and industries that are sort of propped up by his work. Or an example, another example is like a trans woman founded Sirius XM Radio, Um and most people don't know that. And so when I talk about the queer economy, I'm talking about those sort of contributions, but also framing them in the way that, you know, they deserve, which is like, this is real work, right? Just, I think when people think of like gay work or queer work, they think, oh, like frivolous work, you know, um, makeup artists, fashion stylists, hairdressers. But these are people that like own businesses and are the foundations of major brands and companies and industries. And so I think their work and their businesses deserve to be talked about um, with the seriousness that they are and not just as like, you know, frivolous, unserious hobbies. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea about SiriusXM. I'm literally making a, I, I keep, it's it's become a cliche because with my best friend, like we talk about this all the time. I was like, if nothing else comes from Queerancy, I want everyone to know that SiriusXM Radio <laughs> was founded by a trans woman. I said, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt even if I have to. So I am literally creating a t-shirt that's debuting in Pride Month that has that on it, right? Because. Yeah, because it's just like, when I say that people, everyone just like immediately their eyes widen and their mouth drops, right? Like PayPal and Facebook have gay co-founders. One of the hottest venture capitalists or some of the hottest venture capitalists in Silicon Valley today are lesbian women, right? So we're doing amazing things in business. It's just that not only is the media not covering it or has not traditionally covered it, but we don't, as a community, have not really had the framing to think of it the way that we would if we weren't queer. Yeah, I'm just, my brain is going a million miles a minute of thinking about all of this. I... I feel like that's just the way that we're talking about of how like the, the media not reporting on these things is also just, it's in the same, I guess, I don't know, the same bucket or the same world as 
uh, queer history being erased from our textbooks and how, you know, we have to really dig to find that trans people have existed forever and queer people have existed forever because there just has always been this, not always been, but more recently, a stigma against queer and trans people and that um, the work that you're doing and the work that other queer entrepreneurs and media folks are doing is, you know, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, like shining a light on or finally giving platform to or, you know, all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think back to possibility model, when we see successful business, you know, queer business owners, it's like not only that. So I feel like like possibility model doesn't have to only be about identity, like personal self-identity, but also like, oh, I could be a business owner, too. Oh, I can co-found a billion dollar company. Who knew? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, I have no interest in satellite telecommunications, but the fact that I know that Martine Rothblatt, a trans woman founded the biggest satellite radio company ever means something to me. And it inspires me to do what I can do. Right. Because I think that if someone like me, or even not exactly like me, but similar to me can do that. Well, I can do what I want to do as well. And I think that so many, you know, you often can only be what you can see or what you can envision. And um, everyone and, you know, arguably most people aren't like these huge visionaries, right? They're not going to be able to see the future and see what is possible. We often have to literally be shown that in order to take the steps towards doing the things that we could do with our lives. And so I just think it's so important that we know this stuff. You know, like I grew up doing my parents, we would have these black history flashcards. And so like, you know, I knew all there's, there's not a black history figure that I don't know, because like, it was just so ingrained in me. But I imagine, or, you know, think about like, what it would have been like to know, growing up, or even just like as a young adult, younger adult, that a black gay millionaire helped fund the civil rights movement, right? Like he was, his name was Norris B. Herndon. He was this reclusive multimillionaire man. He was the richest black man period in America in the 20th century or for most of the 20th century. And he was a closeted gay man, but he like funded Martin Luther King and the NAACP and the Southern Southern Christian Poverty Law Center and so many other things. And that would have been, just knowing that would have been such a um, possibility model and inspiration for me as a Black gay man. Yeah. Wow. I, well, let me know when those t-shirts are available because I want one. I will, yeah. so, okay, so Queerancy has uh, a very active uh, and informative Instagram. And um, I see that you have some upcoming projects that I'd love for you to talk more about, give platform to. So you have your corporate pride tracker, 
uh, slash state of corporate pride report, which I have a hunch of what that is, but I can't wait to hear more from you. Um, and also the big book of queer business, which also sounds amazing. So please tell us, tell us what we can look forward to. Sure. So um, I'm not sure when this will be airing, but uh, today, May 31st, um, I'm launching the Corporate Pride Tracker, which is a publicly accessible database where my team and I are tracking pride campaigns and LGBTQ initiatives from large corporations across the the globe. Um, We started with the companies that were on the human rights campaigns, corporate equality index. And we literally, we sent out surveys to about 400 of them. Um, And we've also just been doing a lot of independent research. So literally going to their websites, going to Apple's website and seeing what their pride collection is, what donations they're making this year, how much that donation is, et cetera. And it's all in this database. And then we'll be tracking that throughout Pride Month, but towards the end of the month, we'll be taking the findings from the database and from our research and publishing it in the State of Corporate Pride Report, um, which will sort of be you know, highlight some of the takeaways and best practices and insights from um, our research, not only for um, creators and the general public, but for brands themselves. And, you know, just to see like how many of these corporations that we surveyed or did research on are were doing pride campaigns this year, how many were doing sort of Um, making donations, how many were um, sharing revenue of their pride lines with different organizations and of those nonprofit organizations, which ones, you know, sort of got the most money. Um, But then also sort of the things that we really want to analyze in our research is just finding like, what are what's working like what what are the case studies of brands that are doing it right what are the case studies of brands that are doing it wrong a great example is target right like a month or two ago when we were beginning the work on this i had already decided target is going to be a case study of how this is done right uh-huh. and then just last week it immediately flipped, right? And we saw that they capitulated to um, this right-wing vocal minority and we're seeing that play out as we speak. And so it'll be interesting to see like the ways in which corporations are um, managing Pride campaigns, initiatives, collections this year, and what we can learn um, from their missteps, but also the ones that are doing it right. Wow, this is going to be awesome. Um, I wanted to ask, and I'm sorry if I missed this, but 
I'm curious if part of the the pride report or the tracking or the research also looks into companies allyship and um just how they show up for the LGBTQ community outside of pride. And mm-hmm. like, is this actually a safe company to work for? Are they just, you know, pinkwashing or what it is, uh, whatever it might be. Um, can, is that something that you can speak to? Yeah. Yeah. So like part of um, the research is just sort of their allyship outside of pride month in general. And what, you know, part of what we find is that some of these companies and arguably some of the ones that are doing it right don't have a a quote unquote pride collection, right? Or whatever, but they donate a million dollars to XYZ nonprofits throughout the year. Um, And so um, we do include that in the research and that will be included in the report. We're not going for this specific report. We're not going as far as to like do the, this is all we're focused on external stuff or external mm-hmm. um initiatives as opposed to internal um work like employee initiatives and so um there won't be as much data or analysis around is this a good place to work um do they treat their lgbtq plus employees well as much as it will be focused more on what they're doing externally so whether that's um, co- like co- pride collections, campaigns, donations throughout the year, marketing and advertising throughout the year, all that sort of stuff. But it's, we're focused this year on their external activities. That's awesome. I really can't wait to to see what you've what you've uncovered. And yeah, it's, I'm so it's so much fun. Like I nerd out over this sort of stuff, and it's just, you know, it's the type of stuff that like I would want to read and know about, and no one else is doing it, so we decided to do it ourselves. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, yes. So now, big book of queer business. Let's hear it. Yeah. So the big book of queer business is um, sort of the, you know, there are two sides of the coin in my mind for pride. There's like paying attention to what these big corporations are doing. And then also saying like, we don't need these corporations. We need to be building up the queer owned businesses that exist, right? And focusing on them. And so that's what the big book of queer business is. It's um, a digital guide of um, over 200 LGBTQ owned brands and businesses for people to support during Pride Month and beyond. Uh, it'll we're launching it a little bit later toward like the first full week of June, um, and it'll be divided into different categories. So from apparel to art to books to home goods. Um, And, you know, just all sorts of other categories and just to, you know, be able to have a resource for people to support and find and learn more about and also shop some of um, the queer on businesses that are out doing amazing work and could really use our support um, in June and all year long. That's awesome. How do how do you curate 
and find the businesses that you're including? And is it digital that I can always be updated or is it, is there a print and digital or how does, and how do we find it? Yeah. Yeah. It's completely digital and it's um, always going to be updated. So it's going to live on the um, queerancy uh, on queerancy.com and um, you can find it queerancy.com backslash big book. Um, and that's where it'll, it'll live. That's exciting. Maybe yeah. my business can go in there. I would love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Tell me about really- your business. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's called Thank You for Coming Out. And it actually started, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, as an improv show. And then through the years, um, I started teaching. I had a different nine to five job working at a nonprofit called Keshet. And I did a lot of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion trainings for Jewish institutions. And Mm -hmm. so I really honed my skills on how to have conversations around identity um, and how to create spaces of belonging for queer folks. And so I eventually left Keshet and started doing the DEI work for myself for Jewish and non-Jewish companies. Um, So teaching gender identity workshops and I do speaking engagements around gender identity or vulnerability or self-acceptance, resilience, that kind of thing. Um, Teach improv and storytelling workshops, writing workshops, um, really any kind of touch point where people can explore themselves, explore identity, possibility models, both, you know, creating for themselves and for other people, um, all in service of, you know, creating spaces of belonging for queer people. I love that. I absolutely have to include you in the big book. Um, this year, like la- the last time we, we did it, it was focused primarily on consumer brands because mm. you know, people want to just shop. But what yeah. I found is there's so many service oriented mm-hmm. brands um, in the queer space that deserve to be amplified too. So this year we'll be doing special sections on different service um, brands. And so I'll be sure to include you as well. Oh, I'll send you the link to like input your information. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so this is, so, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about uh, uplifting, but can you get into more specifics around the necessity of supporting LGBTQ owned businesses and, and so now we know how to find them because you have this big book of queer business, but who, who benefits and why should we be supporting um, LGBTQ owned businesses? Yeah. So I think, um, firstly, like I think queer owned businesses presently, historically, and in the future have not just been businesses or like these capitalistic fever dreams, they've been safe spaces and they've been havens of support, right? Um, And as so much of mainstream society begins to like point their arrows at us or like um, sort of try to eradicate us from public life, those safe spaces that are created by businesses are going to be even more important. Um, But it's also not just about physical safe spaces, you know, it's digital safe spaces and it's even just like providing both products and services that we as a community can 
that we need and where the money will go back to our communities. Um, I think there's a lot of power in spending your money with someone who shares your values, who um, is a part of your community. And that's because, you know, money is one of many tools, but definitely a tool in fighting all sorts of oppression and fighting all sorts of um, awful things. And so, you know, in this capitalist society that we live in, um, money building a base of strong queer owned businesses that are then focused on building up the community, I think is really important. And I also think that like, outside of just like traditional capitalism, you know, our community has a big legacy and history of mutual aid, um, bartering, just general, you know, we were, we were GoFundMeing before, you know, online crowd, crowdfunding existed. And so I think that like, a lot of businesses and business adjacent organizations can do a lot to support the most marginalized people in our communities um, through that economic base. Um, So those are like some of the benefits. And then I also think another reason that's going to be so important is because I think that it's becoming increasingly just like net, like necessary. Um, So I haven't talked about this much, but I'm going to be doing because I don't want, you know, this is not something that I want, but it's something I'm paying attention to and I'm anticipating. And that is this awful Supreme court case that is going to be announced. Um, The ruling will be announced this June. Um, and it's focused on, it's called 301 Creative, and it's focused on this woman in Colorado who does not want to have to create wedding websites for um, same-sex marriages. And so it sounds familiar because it is familiar, like it reminds you of like that bakery case and all that sort of stuff. However, this case is actually much worse and will have much worse ramifications um, because if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the plaintiff, um, it could easily create a license to discriminate, uh, create a license for businesses to discriminate against LGBTQ people um, and to not offer us services, but also all different types of minority groups as well. So you could see a world where, you know, back in Jim Crow, it was the whites only sign right in front of the store. Well, with this, you could see straights only or Christian only or, you know, same race marriage people only, right? Like all sorts of Um, awful things could come from this. And because the Supreme Court 
is heavily tilted towards this really right wing um, with these right wing justices. And based on the oral arguments and a lot of the legal experts who have been sort of analyzing it since it was introduced, since it was first brought to the Supreme Court, it doesn't look like it's going to go our way. And that will be a big blow with really tragic consequences. And so I say all of that to say that when that happens, queer-owned businesses are going to be even more important because we're going to have to be able to support ourselves in some ways um, when it, if and when it becomes essentially state-sanctioned um, discrimination against us. Well, I don't think I realized the gravity of that. Yeah. It's major. Yeah, it's really major. And, you know, I think that I talked about it. I did a video about it last year, like probably last March or something of 2022. And this was before it was had this was before the oral arguments or anything. And a lot of people didn't really I realized that a lot of people weren't getting the gravity of it or how big a deal this was. People were saying things like, well, I wouldn't want her to make my wedding website anyway, because her graphic design is tacky anyway. Right. And I think there's like this instinct to like sass or shade or read our way of things, but you can't sass shade or read your way out of state sanctioned discrimination. Right. Like you can't throw shade out of, you know, laws against laws that are meant to eradicate you, right? And so we have to recognize that, like, this is serious stuff and it's not just a matter of choosing someone else who will provide us the services. It's a matter of building up the businesses, the systems, the organizations, whomever, or whatever they are that will support us when, if and when the government says you're on your own. Uh, And I know that sound, just even hearing myself say that, it sounds very alarmist and, you know, tinfoil hatty. But it's sort of, if anything this past year has taught us, is that like we have to remain vigilant because what started out as like, oh, we don't want trans people in sports. Now is we don't want trans people to exist at all, right? Mm-hmm. What started out as like, oh, gay people are safe, right? They're not trans or no, whatever is now gay people. Now we're seeing this off, you know, the backlash trickle back down to even the most privileged members of the LGBTQ spectrum. And so we're not in normal times. We're not in, you know, I wish that we were in an era where what I'm saying would be actually alarmist and conspiracy theorist and crazy, but I'm not so certain that it is. So, yeah. 
it's uh it's like it's you know one of those things where it's like it's really important to remain vigilant and also sometimes it's just so exhausting to to keep reading and learning not only about another anti-trans or anti-lgbtq bill being introduced or passed but then that's on top of the other news cycles of mass shootings and just it's just it's so much it's It's so so much. much yeah um i hate to do this but i do need to move us into our last segment okay uh which is our lightning round of questions it's just meant to be for fun answer as quickly as you can uh they are all open-ended because i was told that my original questions were too binary which i appreciate (laughs) um but so just answer as quickly as you can so uh if uh, what is the name of your superhero alter ego Trav the Elevator. Ooh, I love that. Where is your favorite place to think? Um, Walking around Lady Bird Lake in Austin. Mm, nice. Who is an influential queer person who has impacted your life? Norris B. Herndon. A song that you can listen to on repeat forever. Oh my gosh. Um, Probably Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey. I just have so many wonderful memories connected to that song. That's a good one. So as we both know, a lot of states have proposed don't say gay bills. How do you show up and say gay for yourself, for community, etc.? Every time I get on TikTok or Instagram and do one of my videos, that's how I show up and say gay. Um, Every time I push send on one of my email newsletters, that's how I do it. And then just like, I think that there's so much power in just being out and visible. Um, That's another way of saying gay. Like for the first, I didn't come out until after college um i didn't even for the first year or so of querency i wasn't even i never showed my face or anything right and so a lot of that was because of just general hesitancy about you know video and stuff online anyway but i think part of it is just because you take a risk sometimes like visibility is amazing and it's um it's freeing in many ways, but it's also a privilege, right? And everyone does not have that privilege to be visible. And so I take my visibility as both a privilege, but also a duty and a responsibility. And so just sort of being an out Black gay man who talks about the things that I do and focuses on the things I do. And that's another way that I say gay every day. That's beautiful. I, uh, I know this is a lightning round, but I, I just have to respond to, to what you're saying about this idea of um, like the risk that you take in being a visible person. And uh, I keep referencing an interview that I did yesterday, which was for a national, uh, it's, I think I can say it. it's for CBS mornings. So it has like a huge, huge, huge platform. 
talking about what's going on in in the country right now around trans identity and and all this anti-trans legislation and i have a lot of anxiety about doing it because it is a risk to be an out trans person i also had my star of david uh mm. out and proud on in the interview too and so there's also so much anti-semitism in the mm. country and mm. um but just similar to what you're saying like it felt like I had a duty and I, I feel called to kind of acknowledge that there's risk, but also what's the reward for sharing and for being open and for being a possibility model, maybe for a young trans Jewish kid who needed that. And mm. cause I sure as heck needed it um, and didn't have it for a long time. So it's yeah. just, it is, I, I really loved how you, how you stated your answer to that. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the work that you're doing and the visibility that you're providing. I mean, it's I, I was literally in bed last night thinking about stuff like this, you know, sort of this and like how it's important to just like have the resolve to push through this moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's not going to be easy, but nothing that has ever been worth it for our communities or our society at large has been easy, right? You know, like all the people who we celebrate and have days named after them now and all this sort of stuff. I mean, they were gone. They were put through hell in their lifetimes, right? To make the world that we live in today what it is or the freedoms or whatever you would call that we have today possible and so you know who knows what individual impact any of us will have but it's important if you can if you have the ability not to it's important not to shrink right like it's important to push through and rise to the moment because it's bigger than us as individuals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I have two more lightning round questions. Where do you find joy? On the phone with my friend, my, oh, my best friend, Justin. I love that. And I, there was one binary question I couldn't get rid of, which is bagels or donuts. Bagels. That is the correct answer. <laughs> there aren't wrong answers, quote unquote, but uh, bagels is right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love both, but bagels just felt like the right. I lived in New York long enough that like I'm more of a bagel person than a donut person now. So, yeah, I feel like if you've had I live in New York and I just have access to, you know, as you know, the best bagels in the world. And oh yeah. it's just there's no competition. It's like. Sometimes I won't even eat bagels outside of New York City usually because it's like it's not even worth it. And no, I no, guess I'm a snob in that way. <laughs> yeah, I've lived outside of New York City long enough that I have to slum it with non-bagels <laughs> right. bagels because yeah. I enjoy them. But like, I definitely don't get um, 
the sort of now this shows you how long I've been out of New York because I can't remember the name of it. But like just, you know, the typical like bodega, bodega, bagel sort of specialty, whether it's like with the locks or the, you know, the ham, egg and cheese or whatever. Yeah. Um, can't get that really anywhere else than just a New York bodega. <laughs> yeah. There's something real special about a bodega. Yeah. <laughs> um, Travers, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing so much of yourself and your wisdom. Uh, I just really appreciate it. And thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me and inviting me in. Yes. Ooh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for coming out.